All right, welcome back to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. I'm your host, retired Fleet Mashie, Paul Kingsbury. Let's take some time to sharpen your leadership, Cutlass. So as Cutlass leaders, we all want to be more persuasive, more effective, and more influential. We also strive to be versatile, sturdy, and credible in our leadership approaches. And as I've worked to explain in prior episodes, I've got a framework that I think can help you in your leadership development efforts, and there are five key guidelines that you should consider following. So number one, understand, recognize, and build your eight power bases. These are your leadership tools. Uh, we talk about having a leadership tool bag, but there actually are. Leadership uh, has power bases or leaders have power bases. You can build those. You can actively invest in them. And as we'll see today later, they will help strengthen your leadership influence tactics. Number two, learn how to use nine influence tactics. So if your power bases are your tools, the influence tactics are the ways that you can use those tools and how you can apply your tools and your leadership influence. It's basically how you channel the power that you've got in your power bases. Number three, work to develop a firm understanding of situational leadership in order to best select the influence tactic or tactics that are most appropriate for the situation. And I'm going to discuss that a little later today. And then four, build a strong suite of communication skills. I've done a few episodes on this. We've covered oral communication skills, public speaking, writing skills, and listening skills. So always any leader at any time continue to build and improve those because as you move up from the direct level up to the executive level, up to the strategic level, how you have to communicate, whether via written word, social media, oral communication, and how you listen organizationally all changes. So it doesn't matter if you're an accomplished direct level leader, if you move up into an executive position or at a strategic level of an organization, the way you communicate, the way you listen, and the tools you have to do those change. So you've got to constantly reflect on those, especially when you get in the new positions of responsibility and authority. And then number five, Always work to solicit feedback from all directions on your leadership effectiveness. So that's feedback from the people that work for you, that's feedback from your peers, and that's feedback for the leaders that you work for and managers you work for on how well you're doing it. And then frankly, we all have metrics of success. So the ultimate success is, am I achieving the objectives I'm paid to get at? And am I developing a good attitude basically in my team? And do are people in a position where they want to come to work and do good things for the organization and feel they can contribute? So those are some metrics they can use besides that feedback. So, all right, in this episode, I want to dive into the nine influence tactics. I've touched on those on several episodes and I figured about 34 episodes in, it's probably time to actually focus on those and dig in those a little bit deeper. So if you go back and listen to old episodes, you'll hear me re- refer to those and put them into context um, from situational leadership perspectives or when I'm talking about leadership, power bases, and other things like that. So today I wanted to go, I just kind of realized, hey, I need to talk about these specifically. So I'm going to provide you an overview of each one and offer some fundamental guidelines on their selection and use that I've come to learn from my reading and my personal experience. So I cover these in Chapter 2 of the Chief Petty Officer's Guide, but I want to build on that chapter. So let's start off with exploring each of the tactics. The first one you've got is called rational persuasion. So this is basically where you use logical arguments, facts, figures, and things like that to really inform people and to shape the outcomes you're after. So this is when we talk about taking time to explain the why behind a decision or a requirement so you can gain support for it and connect your people to the outcome. That's an example of rational persuasion, right? Just sitting down with your people fully explaining why you're after something, why you've set the goals you're after, what you expect to obtain, why you had to make a hard decision, right? Just being 
pretty transparent with the decision-making process is one way to persuade people to get behind it. And this includes education and training, right? So this is why we take time to educate and train people in risk management circles. You train on what we call a cost of outcome. So I try to explain to you, hey, we put these controls in place or we prevent you from doing certain things or we use certain procedures because of these outcomes that can happen, right? All those are examples of rational persuasion. All leaders and managers should be taking time to do this. And I think it's one that, you know, we probably use pretty frequently. The second one is called inspirational appeals. So with this approach, you use inspirational stories, speeches, you champion lofty goals, or you work to engage your people's sense of pride and ownership in the organization, in their profession, in their family, whatever it is to achieve the outcomes you want. In this tactic, you leverage your personal power, your knowledge of your job or profession, and perhaps heritage to connect uh, your people to the past and bring those things into the present to inspire them. And you work to connect day-to-day work to mission outcomes. The third one is called consultation. So this is a more democratic type approach. It doesn't have to be, but it typically is, in which the leader seeks suggestions and inputs from the target audience to develop a sense of ownership and buy-in before making a direction. And I'll explain a little later. Certain tactics align under certain leadership styles in the situational leadership model, right? So usually if you're in the directing style, I don't think you're going to consult too much here, but definitely if you move into coaching and supporting and definitely delegating, seeking out feedback from your people is a great tactic that you can use um, to really generate buy-in and a sense of ownership within your team. The fourth one is called ingratiation. So this one is a tactic that uses praise and compliments to shape behavior and opinion. For example, I like to use the example of a person who may be either resistant to the direction you're given or hesitant to step up into a leader position. Maybe they don't have the confidence or the self-confidence in their skills, but you've watched them from the outside and you know they've got the capability and the potential to do it. So when you step in and you sit them down, you go, hey, you have these unique knowledge, skills, or abilities or insights that are crucial to our team achieving the outcome. And because of that, I want you to do a certain thing for the team or for me. So that's an example of ingratiation, right? It's encouraging them and and kind of creating an environment where you inspire them to become motivated to go after the things you want. The fifth one is called exchange. So this is when you offer benefits or exchange favors. It's kind of a this or that approach. That's what's typically called. You see this in Congress a lot, right? When people are negotiating, right? This is a negotiating type of tactic. Hey, If you do this for me, I can do that for you, right? So, and there's a win-win on both sides, right? So, this is when you get into this art of negotiation. Definitely not something you're using in a directing style of leadership, but you may have to use this tactic um, in a supporting type role. For example, you know, in the Navy, we like to offer time off now. You know, if I've got to work you harder or we have to stay late to accomplish a certain mission or maintenance evolution, you know, that I know is going beyond working hours, I would typically go, hey... I know we're going to log- work uh, longer today, but on Friday, I'm going to, you know, we're going to come in and I'm going to cut us out early, right? Or in some cases, you don't use reward power to manipulate, but this is where you kind of reward. Rewards are a sort of exchange tactic. So as long as you know what the war- rewards that people want, you're rewarding them with their performance above the standard in exchange for rewards that they want. So you get performance above the standard and they get the reward that follows that they really are about, okay? Uh, and this could even come down to soliciting a favor from a peer in exchange for a favor from you in the future. Next one, personal appeals. So in this approach, you're generally going to try to appeal to your target's 
either loyalty, friendship, or professional connection. So when they might be resistant to something that you need them to do, this is where you, and you've probably seen examples of this in real life or on TV, right? It's like, oh, man, we've been friends for so long. I really need you to do this favor, right? Um, it's kind of a sort of ingratiation, but it relies on personal appeals and personal relationships and really rely, relies on your connection power and your personal power base. And I'll talk a little bit more about understanding that each of these influence tactics, again, it's energized with a certain power base. And if you don't have the power base that supports the influence tactic, it's not going to have the effect you want. Number seven, collaboration and coalition. Sometimes you see these are broken out in two, but they're very similar. So I put them under one. So in these two tactics, you're going to work with peers and professional networks to influence your targets towards the desired outcomes. One example I use in the Navy, chief petty officers are part of a thing called a discipline review board. So in many cases, you'll see, hey, you know, I've got a sailor that's struggling, right? I've tried to use positive discipline. I've tried to use some of these other influence tactics that are more soft or positive in nature, and they're just not responding to that. So perhaps I can use a group of people to kind of bring, you know, and now you're you're starting to get into more pressure-based tactics, frankly, but maybe a group of people I can use because it strengthens my expert power base, my information power base through that connection and network. And maybe someone in that coalition has the right experience, has the right background. They can relate well to the other person more than you can. So you use that to your advantage to really get at shaping the behavior or the outcome of the team. Or perhaps you just got to use, solicit more help from other people to help you achieve a management objective. So that's when you bring together collaboration and coalition. You can use this throughout the situational leadership model in all the different styles. But again... Uh, you have to have strong network power and you usually have to have good personal power here so that these people that you're going to collaborate with or form a coalition with, to them, you are a person who is trustworthy. You know, they're willing to come behind this. So next one, legitimizing tactics. This is when you're going to just simply go to a more bureaucratic leadership style, right? We're moving into just citing rules, regulation, or relying on the inherent authority in your position, right? So this kind of influence tactic is do it because the procedure says so or do it because I'm a, in a position of leadership. I'm your boss. I'm a Navy chief. I'm an officer, whatever it is. Those are the kind of approaches you're doing with a legitimizing tactic. And then finally, the last one is pressure. So again, when you need to, you use this tactic to demand, you can threaten, or you can persistently apply some kind of pressure to your targets. This is normally going to be reserved for what I would call a high resistance target, right? A person that has an attitude of either you're having professional issues with them, you've tried coaching, you've tried other influence tactics, you know, you've gone through your whole list, rational persuasion, inspirational appeals, you've used other people, and they're just not getting it. They're not responding. For some reason, you can't get to them. So now you shift towards bringing in the coercive power base. And then you can do a couple things, right? So maybe it's you're approaching a deadline and you're not so confident. Maybe you're in the delegating style and you're starting to think, maybe I shouldn't have delegated. So you can start making repeated requests of the people you've delegated to on the update or the status of the project you're working on. You can bring that pressure to them. Or it can shift more towards overtly or covertly reminding them of the consequences of their actions of not meeting standards, right? Like, hey, you know, I've talked to you a lot of times. You know, if you don't do these things, you know, this kind of outcome will come out or I will have nothing left to do but to fire you, um, recommend you for disciplinary action, those kind of things. Those are pressure tactics. So those are your nine tactics. As I said, as you listen to prior episodes, 
you're going to hear me refer to those and put those into context of the other episodes and the content I've discussed. You know, as you go back and listen to other episodes and refresh those, or if you haven't listened to prior episodes, I'm going to encourage you to do that. But keep an ear out for where I reference these certain influence tactics. And frankly, as you're in life day to day at work, you know, keep an eye out for where you see people using certain tactics. And even though it's fiction, I always encourage people look on TV and watch TV and look where people model these influence tactics and the results that they get. Real life is actually where it really works. Obviously, movies and stuff are scripted, but you can see different approaches of how people use different forms of rational persuasion. And then, you know, as I go through the rules, one thing I want you to know is like, you don't have to use just one, right? I can take these and put them together. So I can be using rational persuasion and pressure at the same time. When I explain that your failure to meet certain standards can impact your career and here's the outcome, that is combining a rational persuasion and pressure tactic. I can be using an inspirational appeal and ingratiation at the same time, right? So I might go after the person and say, hey, you know, as I mentioned, they're resistant to stepping up in a position. I can acknowledge they have unique skills or abilities. And then I come behind with an inspirational appeal and go, and you remind me of this kind of person who's accomplished great things, right? And I really have passion for what you're going to be able to accomplish. I'm behind you. You can do this, right? You start to play the cheerleader to help motivate them, okay? Or release the motivation that they have in themselves. There's some examples of how you work those individually and one-on-one. But again, I can't go through every situation and how you blend all these together. Just I want you to be aware of them, understand them, and then keep an eye out for them and start practicing them on your own. So let's go through the rules of the road, as we would say in Navy navigational terms. But there are some general guidelines or rules that you can use for applying these tactics and things you have to understand when you get into this thing of influence tactics. So I know that power bases are discussed fairly regularly, I would say, right? If you go into leadership courses and stuff, you you can find power bases. Influence tactics, not so much, right? And I came across those later in my career. You may be doing all these uh, and you may have to do them, but maybe you don't realize what you're actually doing or maybe there's certain tactics that you can strengthen on. So let's go through some of these rules. So the first one is each influence tactic is energized with one or more of your power bases. And I mentioned that earlier. So, for example, if I'm using rational persuasion, the effective rational persuasion tactic results from the strength of my expert information and personal power bases. So, if I try to convince you to do something or change your mind using rational persuasion and my facts and my data and my research isn't solid, you're going to know it on the other side. Like, hey, Paul is full of crap. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, Maybe you're getting information from another source that's valid and well-tested. Maybe I'm just friggin' using facts and figures to my own advantage, right? But you know better. You will not buy into what I'm saying, right? So the strength of my expert power, my information power, where I get information, and then the way I deliver it with my personal power all matters. Or if I determine I need to shift to legitimizing tactics or a pressure tactic, I've got to have a firm grasp on my positional power and the limits of my authorities and my coercive power bases and the things that I can take away or the ways I can impose professional cost on you. If I don't know those and I start trying to apply pressure, again, some of your targets are going to know these things, right? And you're just not going to have the effect with those things you need to. So as you go through each one of those, a collaboration coalition tactic, again, if you don't have good connection power and you have weak professional networks or your personal power base is weak and people don't trust you or they don't think you're a person who gives back, right? When you ask for something, you're constantly asking, right? You're taken out of that corporate bank account. 
but you never give back when people need help, your ability to leverage collaboration or coalition tactics is going to be impaired. Okay, So again, going back to the power bases, evaluating yourself in those and understanding how strong those are is very important to making sure you can execute those. If I said power bases are your tools, it's like buying a hammer with a claw side missing. You can't use it till it's full effect. The same thing with your power bases. All right, the second rule, regardless of your assessment of your target's attitude, right, and that could be committed, compliant, or resistant, always start with the top number one influence tactic that I've explained, and that's rational persuasion, and then work your way down. The science will tell you rational persuasion, inspirational appeals, and consultation are always much better at achieving results and getting people to do what you want or need them to do uh, than the others as you move down. So you start out with rational persuasion. You try to use inspirational appeals. You try to use consultation or a combination of those, right? Again, as long as the the target you have, you know, is in the proper situational leadership model to accept those. And like I said, rational persuasion, inspirational appeals, you can apply those to anything. Consultation, more democratic. Ingratiation, you can use. But just realize that as they're not working, right, you try rational persuasion. You try to explain things. They don't listen. Then you go to, okay. Maybe I'll just try to inspire you with a story or something like that. Okay, that doesn't work. All right, maybe you need to give me some input. All right, well, what do you think we need to do to get this done? Maybe that doesn't work. Then you start going into these other ones. And eventually, you're going to end up down, hopefully not, but you might find yourself at legitimizing and pressure tactics. And at that point, you basically are at the point where you're saying, I've tried every positive approach I have. You're not responding to any of this for some reason. So now you roll into using pressure and legitimizing tactics to dial up the heat to change the behavior you want. But at the same time, you should be following behind this with some conversations and trying to understand why they aren't responding to some of these other conf- other influence tactics. And this is where you can bring some of that Maslow's hierarchy theory in. There's probably some reason why they're not, you know, they're distracted or they have this attitude that's resistant to doing the things they need to do or you want them to do. Okay. So having those conversations is an important part of this as you make your way down the list and you watch how people respond to your influence tactics. Third, always be professional regardless of the tactic you're using. So on one end, you don't have to be a pushover, right? And kind of lay back all the time and not be assertive in your influence tactics. But on the other end, you don't have to be an asshole. I can be applying pressure and I I can do it professionally. I can do it in a good way. At the same time, I can be doing rational persuasion in a firm, direct way as well. So make sure you're professional. Make sure you're balancing your approach and that the way you deliver these matters. Four, I already talked about this a bit, but certain tactics align best under certain leadership styles and the situational leadership model. So if you're in the directing style, like I said, you're going to rely less on collaboration and personal appeals perhaps a bit more on rational persuasion and legitimizing tactics. And then as you move to coaching, supporting, or delegating, you're going to see that tactics like collaboration, exchange, and consultation are going to work really well for you. Fifth, learn to understand and recognize the barriers to your influence and your influence tactics. So as you try to apply influence tactics either to a group or to a person, and they're not working or you're not getting the response that you really want, then you got to start to consider things and ask yourself questions like, do I lack the power in my power bases to pull these off? You know, am I selecting the influence tactic best suited for the situation or am I misapplying or misselecting the influence tactics? Are my communication skills weak or are there communication barriers I don't understand or I'm not accounting for? So if the power base is the tool, the influence tactic is the way you use that tool, your communication skills are really the muscle behind the, the tool. So As I said, if I don't have the power base to support the influence tactic, I won't get the effect. 
But if I don't have the communication skills to strength, you know, that will determine how strong that rational persuasion. So if I'm trying to provide rational persuasion and I don't have good verbal communication skills and I don't come across as a confident speaker if I'm delivering in that way, or if I don't write well and I'm trying to write an article with a written argument, the effectiveness of that influence tactic is, again, is going to suffer. So always think about your communication skills and improving them. Or perhaps you're not listening, right? We did a whole episode on listening with Mass Chief Seuss Whitman. Maybe you're just not listening and, and sensing the feedback. So you've got to use your emotional intelligence as you would try these influence tactics and watch the response. And when they won't, don't work, I said go to the next one, but maybe you ask and get some feedback on like, hey, why didn't that work? Or is there something you don't understand about my rational persuasion tactic? I'm not saying you would present it that way, but you would just ask, like, is something you didn't understand about the conversation or the training we had that I can use to get this across? So your listening skills are important to help you select through these influence tactics. Perhaps you don't understand the value of what you want. And is your passion for what you want really coming through, right? So maybe you're not so committed to the task and the objective and the attitude of your team as as you should be and your people sense it. So they're not responding, okay, as well. They can sense all that and that reflects in your personal power base. Perhaps you got to ask, are there competing influences to mine that are stronger than mine? They have other influences. They have peers. They have family at home. They're watching the news. They're reading things. So you got to understand the competing influences that are out there, the competing arguments towards achieving other goals, or having an understanding of where they lie on Maslow's hierarchy, right, and what their personal motivations are. What is driving their personal motivation for things, and are you taking that into account as you assess your influence effectiveness? Finally, do you fully understand the attitude of your target? Uh, I just mentioned that a little bit, but do you understand what's shaping the attitude, right? Do you think you have a committed person? But maybe they're just compliant. They're just coming to work doing what you need them to do. Or maybe they've slipped down for whatever reason, a personal challenge or something. Or maybe they're stressed out or having a mental challenge. And you've got a highly committed person that has slipped down to resistance, right? And again, resistance doesn't always mean a bad thing. Resistance just means resistance to your influence attempts, right? It doesn't mean they're a bad person, right? So as you make assumptions about your people, consider that as, as you do that. So there you have it. I think that's a good introduction, a good builder on the influence tactics. I think this will give you a good overview and food for thought for some further learning in these areas. And as you think about these, take time to reflect on the following or do the following, frankly. Number one, write down each of those influence tactics I've talked about or that you find in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide and evaluate yourself on a scale of weak to strong. And you can make that scale whatever you want. It could be Good, bad, fair, could be one through 10. Do whatever you want. Okay, so self-assess yourself and then get feedback from team members and work with some resources and mentors to find ways to improve those, right? So perhaps you're not confident in certain things. Perhaps you lack the power base you need in certain things. Perhaps you need to work on communication skills. Find your mentors and look for ways, including this podcast, as a great resource to help you improve those. Number two, ask yourself, do I rely on the few of the available tactics or am I able to use them all according to the situational need? And again, which ones do you rely on, right? Do you find yourself just constantly going to rational persuasion? Do you find yourself unable when you need to to go to legitimizing or pressure? Or perhaps the other way, you start off with legitimizing and pressure tactics when you've got a highly committed and capable team and you should be just using consultation and ingratiation and some of these more positive, quote unquote, approaches. Again, 
why are you relying on those only ones? And it just limits the full range of influence that you've got and your ability to move around the situational leadership model with these different tactics. Number three, ask yourself, how effectively are you using your communication skills and channels? And what can you do to improve those? Whether you're leading at the direct, executive, or strategic level leadership and management, they change. So as you move up into executive and strategic, you're communicating to bigger groups of people. You're communicating over geographic distance. That brings in a communication barrier you've got to consider. But again, just because you've thrived at this direct level leadership leading small teams, you get promoted into an executive position or a strategic position. Now you got to get into strategic communication and new tools of influence. You can use the same tactics, but the way you apply them is going to be a little different, right? At the direct level, typically you're engaging one-on-one or one-on-small group. The more strategic level, now you're engaging usually one to broad groups either in person or not. So the influence tactics uh, that you use are available, but they're going to change in how you deliver those. And then finally, ask yourself, what current barriers exist to your influence approaches? And barriers could be where your people are in the situational leadership model, you know, their competence and their capability and their character, basically their attitude, their willingness to do the things you need them to do and their ability to do it, taking time to assess those And sometimes your own barrier is your own self-mindset, right? So as you go in and assess people, you know, do you have implicit bias about their capabilities or their attitude before you even have a chance to really know them or talk to them? And then you misselect influence tactics because of that. I think that's going to wrap it up. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. Again, if you want to learn more about the topics we've discussed today or in these many other episodes we've done, check out the Chief Petty Officer's Guide or any of the other resources that I've listed in the many episode descriptions. To provide me feedback or suggest topics for future episodes, please email me at cutlessleadership at gmail.com. And as always, make sure to subscribe to the Cutlass Podcast on your podcast channel, like it, share it, and comment so you can help me get this content out and about. I'm Paul Kingsbury. Work hard to keep your leadership cutlass sharp, reflect and improve, and take what you learn to become a sturdy, versatile, and credible leader who makes a positive difference.